15, verse 1 to 28. The resurrection of Christ. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me also, as one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. But if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. But if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ, the firstfruits, then, when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come, when he hands over the, over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, but he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be, may be all and in all. This is the word of the Lord.
Thanks, Marty, for uh, reading that part of that chapter to us. The, the verse I want to especially focus on is verse 20, and let me read that again because that's the core uh, message. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Friends, it's Easter today, and it's a day to congratulate each other. For this feast is the greatest feast that you can think of. If you believe the reality of the Easter facts, then life is ahead of you. Eternal life. So death has lost its sting. And even if we don't expect our own death soon, life itself gets a different tangent. The worries of life, the problems we all have regularly, become rather relative. What do they really mean if you are sure you will have an eternal life? So that means that Easter is incredibly good news, which is worth thinking through and applying to your life. So let's emphasize the word incredible a bit. It's incredibly good news. For that's what it is, incredible. Many of you may have read this morning one of the Easter stories from the different Gospels, and even in, in the kids' story that, that came out, that um, there's something striking about all those stories, and it's this. To God, it was no problem whatsoever to raise his son from the dead. Before anyone had opened his eyes on, on that Sunday morning, Jesus had already left the tomb. God did it just like that because he's the God of life and he can create life out of nothing. So for him to raise his son from the dead could be done in a moment. But what was the real problem after that? It was to convince people that Jesus is alive indeed and that proved to be very hard. According to the Gospels, Jesus had to appear many times to his followers, only to convince them that he was alive again. This morning, we read from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Now, this passage makes us realize that the list of appearances that we find in our four Gospels is far from complete. Paul mentions a whole heap of appearances of Jesus after his resurrection, all with the same intention as the Gospels. People have to be convinced of the incredible Easter news. And that's also the purpose of the preaching on this Easter Sunday morning. So our theme is believe the Easter news. And we look at two points, and the first one is the fact of Easter, believe the fact of Easter, and then um, we look at the power of Easter. Verse 20, as I said, is the focus we start with. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Now, Paul writes these words in a, in a definite, a triumphant tone. He cries out to the Corinthians, people, believe me, it's true. Christ has been raised from the dead indeed. Apparently, this strong emphasis is necessary. For as humans, we do have a problem to overcome here. 
See, we know life and our realities of life. And it's obvious to us. Wherever there is life, there is also death. That is our common experience. And we know that once someone has passed away, he's really gone. And there's no way back. And no contact whatsoever is possible anymore. And that is why it's for us so hard to believe that there is true life after death indeed. Now, apart from the the general difficulty all people have in believing the Easter message, the Corinthians had an extra difficulty to overcome. Corinth is a city in Greece. So the Corinthians are Greek people. And you know that the Greeks of that time were known for their love of philosophy. Now, in, in Greek philosophy, resurrection of the body is an absolutely unthinkable concept. There's no way that they can comprehend that or even appreciate that. Just a few words on that problem. See, to Greeks, man consists of two parts, body and soul. And of these two, the soul is considered to be the best part of man. To live on earth, you need a body, of course. But they felt your, your soul, what it's really all about, your soul is kept prisoner by that body. So according to this philosophy, the moment your body dies, your soul is set free from its cage and happily returns to heaven to enjoy free life again. Not limited to a body. Now, friends... I hope that you can imagine that if you think in terms like that, and that's all you have always heard, a message about the resurrection of a body doesn't make any sense. Not a soul is interested in that. That's why even the Christian Corinthians found it hard to accept the fact of Jesus' physical resurrection. And as a consequence, they developed many theories about the meaning of Easter. And they were all attempts to move away from the fact of the bodily resurrection. They said, for instance, Easter should be understood in a more spiritual way. It's not about the resurrection of the body. It's only about a coming life of your soul in this life. And when Paul hears about that, he immediately takes action. For this is error. It is false teaching that destroys the gospel. For in the resurrection of the body, in the resurrection of Jesus, the heart of the gospel really is at stake. And if you start to question the reality of his resurrection, then the whole gospel message is hanging in the air. And that's why Paul reminds them of his earlier teaching to them. Verse 1, this is the gospel I preach to you and on which you have taken your stand. Verse 3, I pass on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. But that's what it is all about. Jesus died and was raised. If you really believe this, you're saved. 
But if you keep any reservations at this point, the gospel is preached to you in vain. The fact of the resurrection is absolutely indispensable in the gospel. We can't do without it. For the fact of Jesus' resurrection proves two things. First, Jesus Christ has fully completed his mediator's task. See, according to the scriptures, the mediator, the Messiah, had to give his life as a sacrifice for our sins. He had to shed his blood. So if Christ died indeed, that's a fact. Then the next fact, the resurrection is proof that God in heaven is satisfied with his payment. Knowing that his suffering was completed, Jesus cried out, it's finished. Yes, it has been enough indeed. His father confirmed when he raised Jesus from the dead. A second reason why Jesus had to raise from the dead indeed is that we can only be saved by a living Christ. We are not helped by a mediator who was prepared to give his life for us, but in the process ultimately lost it himself and did not return. We need a living redeemer who is around today to encourage us to fill us with his love and compassion, to guide us with his Holy Spirit as we set out to follow him. And that's why Paul tells about all those appearances of Jesus Christ after Easter. He is physically alive, and we, with many others, are witnesses to the fact. Believe it for the sake of your eternal life. Also in modern theology, the fact of the resurrection is often questioned. A physical resurrection from the dead is still unbelievable for men. And therefore, many theologians happily present new interpretations of the Easter story. For instance, they say, well, though can, we cannot accept the resurrection of Jesus as a fact. It's certainly true that their message of his resurrection had an enormous effect. Look at the disciples of Jesus. They were totally devastated after the events of Good Friday. But the message of Jesus' resurrection restored their hope and they became active again. So to summarize this, this idea is this. As long as people believe that Christ has risen, then they will do something positive. For the kingdom of Christ. So even if the resurrection, though the resurrection is not a real fact, it still has a positive effect on people. Well, this is like presenting the proverbial carrot to a donkey. The moment the donkey does a step forward to grab the carrot, he pulls also the cart forward and the bait is just as far away as before. So he receives nothing. But the bait works all right. I wouldn't like to climb the pulpit with such a message. Paul would say to me, 
Friends, that your message? You have no message at all. If Christ has not been raised, then we will not be raised. Then we will ultimately drown in death, just like everybody else. And we have all wasted our time. We are pitied above all people, he even says. But now, Paul, Christ has been raised indeed from the dead. That is a joyful fact that we celebrate today. And then he adds, he became the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And the Holy Spirit brings here a wonderful image to Paul's mind. Christ as the first fruits. Now that word reminds us of harvest time. In Israel, the first fruits were always welcomed with lots of joy. The first sheaves of barley that were harvested were brought home in triumph. And the Jews even made a special feast of it, the feast of the first fruits. See, the first fruit of the harvest was considered as a guarantee that the rest will follow as well, the full crop will come. In other words, a first fruit was a promise for the future, and therefore a reason to celebrate already. Now the point of Paul using that word is this. If you would only harvest the first fruits, but there's nothing more after that, then there would be nothing to celebrate, would it? You can't live only on the first fruits. You need a whole harvest. So in using the word first fruits, Paul makes clear, Jesus' resurrection was not an isolated fact. His resurrection contains a promise. He is the first fruit. But we are the harvest to come. And that was possibly one of the misunderstandings in Corinth. Some, some people may have considered the resurrection of Jesus as a purely unique event. People would say, for instance, well, the person of Jesus is so special. To him, things happen that happen to no one. He is the son of God, and therefore, death couldn't keep its hold on him, of course. For God cannot really die. But they were saying Jesus' case is too unique to draw any conclusions from for ourselves. And again, Paul says, no, don't believe that. Jesus Christ is the first fruit. And after the first fruit, a whole harvest follows the bodily resurrection of all believers. So these two belong inseparably together. Jesus' resurrection and yours. Keep that in your mind. Accept the fact of Jesus' resurrection. Then there's also a resurrection for you. Or deny the fact. Then you'll miss out. Come to the second point. The resurrection as a source of power. We just mentioned a modern denial of the fact of Easter. And people say, well, the main thing is that Christ rises in your heart. Or that you are stirred into action by the message of Easter. Now, we are certainly stirred into action by the Eastern news. But it doesn't really work if you doubt the fact of the resurrection, of course. Paul is very clear on that one. 
In verse 14 he says, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. So this should be clear. If you would stand here today and say that Jesus Christ has not really resurrected, then we could just as well go home. Then we are wasting each other's time. But when we do believe Jesus' resurrection from the dead, indeed a mysterious new power enters into our hearts. Once the thought that one day it's all over and you'll die held you captive. But the moment you are sure you will not really die, you develop a very different view on life. In his letter to the Romans, Paul writes, we have died with Christ. We have been buried with him. And what's more, we have been raised with him from the dead. So what is Easter faith? It's not only to believe the fact, but also to live on the basis of this fact. And the Bible is a wonderful expression that indicates something only true believers can understand. It is being in Christ. You know what this means? It's that by faith you are intimately connected with Christ. You're in him. You belong totally to him. So totally even that his history becomes your history. You were in Christ when he descended into the grave. You were in him when he died. But you were in him when he rose again as well. And now you are still in Christ while he is in heaven with his father. And all the time you're part of his body. And that fact gives you a different outlook on life. If you're part of him, you share his interests. And then immediately many earthly things become somewhat irrelevant to you. It's all a matter of perspective. Sometimes, only on their deathbed, children of God finally realize what life is all about. Eye in eye with death. They turn to the Lord Jesus, cry for mercy, and receive life from him. Well, that's beautiful, of course. But by the same token, it is too late for them to change their course of life. The sadness, they realize that they have lived in spiritual poverty all their life. Such deathbed conversions can happen indeed. Praise the Lord for his grace that he can do that. And that he often does. But friends, there is no reason whatsoever to postpone reflection on the meaning of your life and the meaning of Christ's resurrection until you're about to die. Reflect on it now. The Easter gospel which you hear today gives you a wonderful opportunity to review your perspective. And the earlier you do it, the better. Ask yourself, in the light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what do I really live for? Be completely honest with yourself. Do you live for Jesus Christ and his kingdom alone? Or do you try to serve two masters? Many people try to do that. 
They want to enjoy what this life has to offer. But they also want to serve Jesus. And I warn you, if you continue to do that, you miss out on true Christian joy. For Jesus shares the joy of new life only with those who are fully committed to him. And if you sense this double-mindedness in your heart, it's quite natural to have that. Turn to the living Christ and ask him to fill you completely with his love. Take on the same attitude as what Paul writes in Philippians. He said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. That's the point. God has raised you with Christ. And that means neither death nor sin has a hold on you any longer. You are not dead anymore, but you are alive in Christ. That, friends, is the Easter message. And let it be a source of energy to you. Realize who is the Lord of your life. Think of it, how you can please him. Then your life will become truly rich. As congregation, the Lord has given us to each other to encourage one another. So let's do so with great joy today. And not only today, but every time when we meet each other and share our concerns and problems with each other. Let's encourage one another with these words. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Since the glorious Easter news was proclaimed, no human problem is insurmountable anymore because Jesus is our victorious head forever. Congratulations, friends. It's true. The Lord has risen. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for the fact of Easter. Jesus rose from the dead. Lord, we thank you that you share that news with us so that we may believe indeed that Jesus has won victory over death, not only for himself, but for all those who are in him. Lord, grant us that we all grow in him. Help us to know Christ better. Help us to experience in our life the power of the resurrection so that we will change and become more and more like the one whom we belong to. We pray in his name. Amen.